Welcome to British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd. You can find me at carolannlloyd.com or at at History on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please follow so we can explore history together. This month at Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, we're leaning into romance big time. It's February, so it's Valentine's Month. We'll be exploring the most famous and infamous love stories of history and literature. I'm asking for your input, so get ready to share your thoughts about romance. Let's start with a story. Once there was a prince who was becoming known as a bit of a playboy. Naturally boisterous and more devoted to fun than his brother, he spent years having a good time all around the world. While his brother married a lovely English young woman in a gorgeous ceremony and then started a family, the prince continued to race from one party to the next. And then, quite suddenly, he fell in love. But not with the expected English aristocrat. The prince fell in love with an American. And to make matters worse, in a family threatened by scandal, she was divorced. The establishment in the monarchy were stunned. What was to be done about it? Does this sound familiar? I'm talking, of course, about the scandalous relationship between Edward, commonly referred to as David, Prince of Wales, son of George V, and Mrs. Wallace Simpson. The brother in the scenario is Prince Albert, Duke of York, known as Bertie, who married Elizabeth Bowes Lyon and started a family. These two brothers and their royal romances shocked and shaped the British monarchy in the 20th century. Bertie and Elizabeth Prince Albert Frederick Arthur George, known to the family and friends as Bertie, was the second son of George V. He was born in 1895 and named for his grandfather, Prince Albert. His parents were formal and devoted to duty, spending little time nurturing their children. The king was a strict disciplinarian. He is reported to have said that he was terrified of his father, King Edward VII, and he intended his children to be terrified of him as well. They were. Bertie was shy and lacked confidence. His father's demanding and unsympathetic approach likely made things worse and eroded any confidence the young prince had. Bertie served in the Royal Navy during World War I. He was a midshipman and served abroad the HMS Collingford at the Battle of Jutland. He was at sea for 22 months. In this, the prince finally earned praise from his father, who said, I am pleased with my son. Unfortunately, ill health, including an ulcer, ended his naval career. He then became one of the first officers when the Royal Air Force was instituted in April 1918. He was posted to France in the fall and witnessed the armistice on the 11th of November 1918. His service during the war gave him confidence. The king conferred the titles of Baron of Killarney, Earl of Inverness, and Duke of York on him on the 3rd of June 1920. A few years later, he met and began courting Elizabeth Bowes-Lyon. Elizabeth was born at the turn of the century, the 4th of August, 1900, during the reign of Queen Victoria. She came from an aristocratic and wealthy family, the Bowes Lions. She was the youngest daughter of Lord Glamis, who became the Earl of Strathmore. During World War I, her family estate, Glamis Castle, became a convalescent home for wounded soldiers, not unlike Downton Abbey. Lady Elizabeth was a favorite with the wounded soldiers, spending time reading to them and helping them write letters to family members. She saw firsthand the devotion of men, fighting for their country 
and the devastating effects of war. Elizabeth became friends with Princess Mary, daughter of the king and queen. Princess Mary introduced Lady Elizabeth into the royal family. Prince Albert, Bertie, and now officially the Duke of York, was smitten. Bertie first proposed in 1921, but Elizabeth turned him down. A woman who valued her independence, Elizabeth did not want to join the royal family, but Bertie persevered. The third time he proposed, in January 1923, she finally agreed. Although she was worried about joining the royals in their gilded cage, she knew she could offer Bertie something he lacked, a warm and loving family. The prince's choice of a non-royal, though an aristocrat, she was not a commoner, and especially an Englishwoman, was very popular with the people. The marriage was a huge event, and the king and queen were very pleased. The new princess was the first to place her bouquet at the tomb of the unknown soldier in memory of her brother, Fergus, who was killed in World War I. The new Duchess of York was named the Smiling Duchess because of her cheerfulness and good humor. She encouraged the Duke through his work with Lionel Logue to overcome his stammer and gain confidence in delivering speeches. She was a great support to the Duke and a welcome member of the family. The Duke and Duchess had two daughters as well. Princess Elizabeth was born in 1926 and Princess Margaret came along in 1930. The young family were very close and offered the nation the image of a loving young couple who was devoted to their daughters. The family released photos of time spent together in the garden or in the sitting room of their family home, playing with the dogs or reading. The Duke always referred to them as we four, and they were seen together often at royal appearances. While Bertie was marrying and starting his family, his brother, the Prince of Wales, was pursuing a very different course. The Prince of Wales. Edward, Albert, Christian, George, Andrew, Patrick, David, or simply David to his family and friends, was a good-looking, charming boy who seemed destined for greatness. Like all his siblings, he was probably terrified by his father, George V. His parents were devoted to their status as royals and expected nothing less from their children. At some point, David decided to go his own way. His good looks and charm made the young prince popular everywhere he went. Crowds gathered and cheered him at public events and trips. He enjoyed the social side of the monarchy, eagerly traveling and meeting with people. In some early newsreels, he can be seen shaking hands with his left hand. This wasn't because he was left-handed. It was because he had shaken so many hands with his right hand that it was bruised and swollen, bruised and, swollen and couldn't be used. During World War I, he was commissioned in the Royal Army's Grenadier Guards and served as a staff officer. However, as Prince of Wales, the high profile meant the government was unwilling to have him serve in active duty. Being held back was extremely disappointing. Eventually, David managed to get an assignment in France and then lobbied to be taken to the front line as often as possible. He saw the horrors of war and described the experience, quote, I got the most vivid close-ups of the horrible existence that had become the life of the British soldier, end quote. After the war, David was interested in making the right appearance, which didn't always match his parents and their conservative royal image. David dressed in the latest fashion, often defying convention. For example, he sometimes wore bold check suits. He wore an ascot with a polo shirt, and he wore patterned ties when no one else was wearing such things. It said his father criticized him for wearing brown shoes with a navy blue suit. But those around the prince copied his look, and that became the style. 
As Prince of Wales, he traveled extensively, representing the monarchy around the world. Most of this was done with married women, the choice of many aristocratic men of the day. Society rules dictated that a single woman would need to be accompanied by her mother or other adult female relative if she attended house parties. But a married woman could turn up with her husband, who might be persuaded to look the other way. The prince had a relationship with Telma Morgan Furness in the early 1930s. When Telma went to visit her sister, Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt, mother of Gloria Vanderbilt, the famous fashion designer. She asked her good friend, Wallace Simpson, to keep the prince occupied so she wouldn't lose him to another woman. Bad move on Telma's part. The prince became captivated with Wallace, and the two began a relationship that would change the British monarchy. Bessie Wallace Warfield was born in Pennsylvania in 1896. After her father died, she and her mother were dependent on her uncle, Wallace met Earl Winfield Spencer Jr., a member of the U.S. Navy, in 1916 and married him that year. They divorced 11 years later. By that time, Wallace had met Ernest Aldrich Simpson. They married in London in 1928. She became friends with Thelma Thermos and through her met the Prince of Wales. That brings us to 1934, when Thelma went on a trip and Wallace stepped into her place at the Prince's side. That summer, the Prince invited Wallace to accompany him without Ernest, on vacation. She later wrote that, quote, Perhaps it was during those evenings off the Spanish coast that we crossed the line that marks the indefinable boundary between friendship and love, end quote. The relationship caused comment among staff members who were unhappy with the way Wallace treated the prince without the proper degree of respect. But David seemed to enjoy her all the more for her brash attitude and actions. No one expected the relationship to last very long. According to recent scholarship and biographies, even Wallace thought she was temporarily enjoying the perks of royal treatment, expecting at any moment the prince would move on to someone else, as he always had. Unsure of how things would end up, she did not actively pursue the prince the way other women did. Her reluctance seemed to make the prince want her even more. After about a year and a half, things came to a crisis point. It's said that before he died... George V told Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin, quote, After I am dead, that boy will ruin himself within 12 months. End quote. The boy in question was the 41 year old Prince of Wales. The king did not have high hopes for his reign. Part of the father's prophecy proved true. He may not have ruined himself, but he threatened the future of the monarchy. Year of Three Kings. On January 20th, 1936, King George V died. The Prince of Wales became King Edward VIII. Breaking years of tradition, the new king watched his proclamation being read at St. James Palace, and he did it with Wallace Simpson at his side. Although the British press had been convinced not to cover the story of the prince now king's love life, people in the inner circle of the palace were shocked. The royals had been pressuring Edward for years to marry and start a family, The appearance of Wallace by Edward's side when the proclamation was read caused a great deal of worry. It turned out the worry was justified. Edward continued to keep company with Wallace. She regularly accompanied him in private gatherings and on royal trips abroad. Although the British press kept the story out of the papers, the affair was covered in America and all over Europe. In August, the King and Wallace again without her husband, left on a Mediterranean cruise. At some point, the king made it clear he wanted to marry her. 
When they returned, Wallace began divorce proceedings. Her husband, Ernest, agreed and set himself up as the guilty party, arranging to be caught with a woman at a hotel. The initial hearing was held in October 1936, but the final divorce would not be granted for months. The king seemed to believe he could marry Wallace and make her the queen, but Parliament informed him they would not approve of his marriage to a twice-divorced woman, as the Church of England did not sanction divorce. Wallace offered to give the king up and go abroad, leaving him to rule the country and move on to some other woman. But Edward insisted he would marry her on the throne or off. The king met with Stanley Baldwin, the prime minister, in November to persuade the government to allow him to marry Wallace once her divorce was final. He refused to give her up. He raised the subject of a morganatic marriage, where he would remain king and marry Wallace, but she would not become queen and their children would not inherit the throne. The prime minister and the government were firm. Wallace or the crown. The king could have only one. The story of their relationship broke in Britain the first week of December, accompanied by photographs the government had kept out of the paper for so long. The king and Mrs. Simpson were clearly a couple, and now the British people knew. Pressure mounted. Public opinion coalesced against Wallace Simpson, who became known as, quote, that woman in royal circles and was blamed for the crisis. Recent studies disagree with this, feeling that the records indicate she was more than willing to step aside, and it was the king who was so determined to carry out his choice. King Edward VIII informed the government on the 9th of December that he had made the decision to abdicate the throne. On the 10th of December, King Edward VIII signed the Instrument of Abdication. It was witnessed by his brothers, Albert, Henry, and George. On the 11th of December, Parliament endorsed the abdication. That night, Edward made his final broadcast to the British people. He declared, quote, At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. I have never wanted to withhold anything, but until now, it has not been constitutionally possible for me to speak. A few hours ago, I discharged my last duty as king and emperor, and now that I have been succeeded by my brother, the Duke of York, my first words must be to declare my allegiance to him. This I do with all my heart. You all know the reasons which have impelled me to renounce the throne, but I want you to understand that in making up my mind, I did not forget the country or the empire, which, as Prince of Wales and lately as king, I have for 25 years tried to serve. But you must believe me when I tell you that I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. End quote. On the 12th of December, 1936, Edward's brother Albert was proclaimed King George VI. Edward, now the Duke of Windsor, left for Austria, where he would remain until Wallace's divorce became final. On the 12th of May, 1937, the day originally scheduled for the coronation of Edward VIII, George VI was crowned king and Elizabeth Bowes-Lyon was crowned queen consort. The couple's two daughters, Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret, attended the ceremony. The coronation was a public event with the streets lined with supporters. When the newly crowned king and queen appeared on the balcony of Buckingham Palace with their daughters, Queen Mary, the king's mother, appeared with them to show her approval of the young family. On the 3rd of June, just under a month later, Wallace Simpson and Edward, Duke of Windsor, were married in France. 
she became the Duchess of Windsor, but was not awarded her Royal Highness designation. No one from the royal family attended the ceremony. The couples. In the years leading up to World War I, the king and queen traveled to the United States, establishing a strong relationship with President and Mrs. Roosevelt. Then Duke and Duchess of Windsor traveled to Germany and met with Hitler, reinforcing suspicions of their being Nazi sympathizers. During the war, the king and queen, along with the princesses, stayed in London. The king gave regular radio addresses that, despite his stammer, were described as having the voice of a reassuring friend during difficult times. When asked if members of the royal family might move out of London to be away from the dangers of bombings, the queen replied, quote, The children will not leave unless I do. I shall not leave unless their father does. And the king will not leave in any circumstances whatever. The Duke and Duchess were sent to the Bahamas at the insistence of Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who feared they were a threat. The Duke of Windsor seemed to believe that, after the war, he would be able to return to Britain and serve in some official capacity. When he returned to London briefly in 1945, he told reporters he hoped to return there permanently and serve the country. He met with reporters again after meeting with Churchill in 1953. Asked if he would take a government job, he said he had been available for the past 16 years and, quote, I am still available. Making money in commerce and industry would be a conflict of interest with with his position as a member of the royal family. So it was a government job or nothing. It turned out to be nothing. The Duke and Duchess continued to express their unhappiness with the stance of the royal family, who treated them as exiles. The Duke never stopped asking that his wife be recognized as Her Royal Highness and officially welcomed into the royal family. The Duchess was open about her disappointment with the way the Duke was sidelined. Quote, For 24 years, my husband has been punished like a small boy who gets a spanking every day of his life for a small transgression. They continued to live in Paris. When George VI died, the Duke of Windsor returned to London for his funeral, but his wife did not. The King's family blamed the Duke for the stresses that had driven George VI to an early death. The King's body lay in state in Westminster Hall, where 300,000 people paid their respects. The young, self-conscious man with a stammer had become a beloved king. He was buried at Windsor Castle, where his father and grandfather were also buried. The Duke did not attend the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II in June 1953. Queen Elizabeth visited the Duke and Duchess in 1972 during a state visit to France. The Duke was very ill and not able to leave his sitting room. According to reports, he insisted on being well-dressed and on rising to greet the Queen. The Duchess was finally welcomed to London after the Duke's death in May 1972. He lay in state for three days at Windsor Castle before a private funeral and burial. The Duchess went back to Paris immediately following the funeral. She died there in April 1986, just before her 90th birthday. It's been reported she was frail and lonely during her final years. After a private funeral, she was buried alongside her husband at Windsor Castle. The Queen Mother, Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Philip, Prince Charles, and Princess Diana all attended the funeral. The final member of the two couples whose royal romance rocked the monarchy was Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. She remained an active member of the royal family for many years. She marked her 90th birthday in August 1990 and her 100th birthday 10 years later. 
she made her traditional appearance outside her home to mark her 101st birthday in August 2001 and passed away the 30th of March 2002. As she lay in state at Windsor Castle, approximately 200,000 people filed by to pay tribute. A public funeral was held the 9th of April. More than a million people filled the space outside Westminster Abbey and along the way to her burial in Windsor Castle alongside her husband. At her request, the funeral wreath from her coffin was placed on the tomb of the unknown soldier. Back when Princess Elizabeth married Philip in 1947, George VI wrote her a letter expressing pride in her growing up to be such a lovely young woman under the guidance of her mother, describing his wife as, quote, the most marvelous person in the world in my eyes, end quote. They may not have been as glamorous or trend-setting as the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, but their love story saved the royal family. Thank you so much for joining me for a full month of love stories, ending with this final look at two couples whose royal romance rocked the monarchy. Next month, it's time for Monarch Madness. So get ready to rumble royal style. Thank you so much for listening to Stories of Romantics in Days Gone By. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe, share, leave a rating, leave a comment, and especially let me know what you think. History shows us what's possible. Please join me next time as we explore history together. Cheers. <music>